The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narcanon Suncoast. Hello, Jason. Hello, Joni. Back in the studio this here, week. Here we are. And um, I how, am. A how nice, was your vacation? I am a nice, lovely shade of bronze. Okay. Mexico is interesting. It was a okay. great trip. And it's funny because you never really realize how much you take a good internet connection and Wi-Fi for granted <laughs> until you don't have it. Yes. Because there's like, I like to call it fake cellular network and fake Wi-Fi because it says you're connected, but there's there's nothing. Right. And so I had people from work trying to like call me just to check in. I tried to call them. Nobody could hear me. Uh, <laughs> the Wi-Fi said I was connected and I wasn't. And it was like... Maybe it was the universe telling me, hey, Jason, you should just like not work and take there a break. You, you, there you go. <laughs> you, you should not answer the phone. Um, but it was interesting. I, I most for the most part, just like disconnected from reality for a little bit. And I laid in a hammock under a tiki hut on the beach for a week. My dad thought it was the greatest trip ever. Okay, good. And it was really, really fun. The whole family was there. It was me, all my siblings, my grandmother, my nieces, nephews, and my parents. How fun! And it was, it was, a, it was, it was fantastic. How I, many people? There was eleven or twelve of us. Wow! Because there was my sister, my two sisters. They each have two kids. They each have a husband. Then there was me. There was my mom, my dad, and then my grandmother. Oh, okay. So it's about twelve people. Cool. It was great. It was it was nice, and I missed the deep freeze we had. Yeah. Oh from goodness. what I was told, this place was like the uh, was, frozen tundra. It was in the 30s at night. That's, I mean, it's like, oh my goodness. It was cold. That's that cold. That's freeze. We, we live in Florida. So I know. That's ridiculous. I know. I think it was a week ago, and literally, I think it was maybe for, high 40s, uh-huh. right? But it was that overcast, and right. it was drizzling. Mm-hmm. And every time I see that, I go, you know, 10, 20 degrees, it's a snow sky. Right. You know, I remember exactly. that, the the gray sky, and it's super cold, and you're like, oh, here comes the snow. Yeah, I grew up with that. Yeah, you know what it's like. Yeah, it's miserable. Yeah. yeah. I don't miss it. Well, and, th- and that weather actually was more like being in Seattle or Portland okay. or something. So Two places I've never been, uh, which I, I'd like to go. I've been to bo- both, and, you know, I think... Like I've also, and I also lived in London, so you get that kind of rainy, kind of overcast, kind of drizzly kind of weather, which isn't fun. I, I always like Florida rain because when it rains in Florida, usually it just like pours. Yeah. And pours. then it stops. Yeah. And then, <laughs> but it really pours. And it's raining on one side of the street, not the other. Exactly. So Seattle's one of those places, uh, Washington, that. Medical that uh, not medical marijuana, but marijuana in general has been legalized. Yep, and, and it has now, in California now too. Now it is in California. Yep. Massachusetts went active this year, and they're all following suit with Colorado. And it's funny we hear all these horror stories coming out of coming out of Colorado as far as marijuana goes, but I don't hear a lot from the other states, which means that the, to me that the problem with with marijuana in Colorado is so bad it's eclipsing everything. Right. Um, I don't think it went the way they thought it would go. I don't think so I really, either. I really don't. And while, okay, I get the, it's going to bring in taxable revenue and we can tax marijuana and we can sell it and it'll just be, it's almost a commodity. And all these problems are coming out of Colorado, one of which is that the opiate problem hasn't gotten any better. Right. Uh, we're actually at the point in um, in the drug epidemic where opiate overdoses have surpassed it was, I think it surpassed HIV AIDS deaths at its height. It I mean, it's, it's way worse. It surpassed Vietnam. It surpassed Vietnam. Yeah. It surpassed most, I think, World War One, World War Two combined. 
And it's now being con- the opioid epidemic is now being considered worse than the AIDS epidemic because and it's also but it's also very similar uh-huh. because with the AIDS epidemic we were underfunded to handle it. Right. The research wasn't necessarily there, and it was a problem the general public almost kind of became apathetic about because it just kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Right. And nothing seemingly was being done about it to make it better. And the same thing's happening with the opioid epidemic is that we're underfunded. There's not enough treatment available. Mm-hmm. Same thing with a- the AIDS epidemic. There wasn't treatment, really wide treatment available. And the treatment that they had at the height of it, I, th- I think it was called AZT, wasn't a very good treatment. Um, and so there's a lot of similarities. But now the opioid epidemic is almost worse than that. And the fact of the matter is back in the with the AIDS problem, it was scary because you, you thought you could get it from anybody. You can get it from anywhere. But it's very similar with opiates because you can get them from anybody. You can get them from anywhere. Right. And now the, the doctors are the ones giving it to you. Can you imagine if the doctors are the ones giving people HIV? I mean, it's scary. It is scary. It's, yeah, it's definitely scary. It's a scary thing. And, um, you know... I was alive during the height of the AIDS epidemic. I mean, the eighties and nineties, it was really bad. Yep. And that was the thing people were definitely terrified of. And now people are terrified of, of going to the doctor and getting the wrong prescription. That's going to mess your life up. That's right. Um, and I wish we had more treatment available because I always say that's the that's the way we're going to handle this is to make not just any treatment, but the right treatment available to everybody. Exactly. Because I don't, I always, it's hard working in rehabilitation when you're on on the front lines with everything you talk to people that call in there's so many people that want it so badly but it's like but i have no insurance i you know i'm an addict so i don't have any money my family is done with me blah 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 and it's sad because there's people out there that really want it that don't have access to it right and so our government i believe really needs to step up and say okay we're gonna make this thing widely available to anyone that needs it because how else are we going to fight this that's right and because it's that easy makes me think well why wouldn't they do that yeah if, if okay so it's that if it's that easy why not why not make that available and the there's a part of me that really believes there's too much money being made well there there is definitely i think too no much, i mean not with from the drugs not from no no rehab, no definitely i think drugs. i think there's definitely too much money being made from the drugs i think that um, pharmaceutical lobbyists make mm-hmm. a lot of money. Tons. And, um, but the other thing I think is that it's, you know, the, the problem that we have and the reason really why I wanted to do this podcast and why I think you like to do the podcast is, is a, it's a point of education. Sure. It's not just a point of education, like the truth about drugs or Amy Ronshausen from drug free America. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a point of educating people on what the different treatment modalities are and what's available. And, you know, we just, we just have to keep dinging it home that, you know, there are, there are treatment programs who will, that will work for less than 15% of -hmm. the population. And then there are treatment programs that will work for above 70% of the population. And the fact is the ones that work for above 70, they're Mm -hmm. just not well known. You know, it's funny. It's the centers and the types of the types of treatment that are well known are the ones that pay to be well known. Mm-hmm. My dad. Okay, the reason I say that is because so back in the day, if you wanted to be number one in Google searches, you had to do search engine optimization, right. optimize 
what you were doing so Google would pick up your website right. higher than other people. Now it's you just pay Google and you're you're number one. You're right on top for right. whatever keywords. Right. And there's a similar thing going on with rehab centers is that the ones that people know about are the ones that do these marketing blitzes and advertising blitzes, but also pay to be endorsed. My dad sent me this thing and he didn't realize how I was going to take this. He he sent me this thing from, I think it was like from Dr. Phil's website. And it was a whole thing about how to get endorsed for whatever you're doing by Dr. Phil. Interesting. And you just pay a bunch of money. Ah. And they, I guess they do a couple of checks here and there and it's nothing crazy. And then, oh, well, this brought to you by Dr. Phil and that brought to you by Dr. Phil. The, the article... That he was in that Dr. Phil was endorsed. This is so stupid. The article Dr. Phil was endorsing his little clip it or snippet or whatever that my dad sent me was it came and said, virtual reality rehab. Go to rehab virtually. What a, <laughs> virtual reality. I can't there. even think with that. I, I don't that even mean? understand what that was. And I said to my dad, I texted my, I saw this whole thing about going to rehab in virtual reality. And I, I I texted my dad back. And I said, "LOL, that's really that's ridiculous. Who would ever think that's a good idea?" My dad goes, "No, no, you're missing the point. You could just get endorsed by Doctor Phil. Just just pay, pay him money, money and, and get him to endorse Narconon. Yeah, and if, yeah. as long as what you're doing is not like completely ridiculous, they'll endorse you. It's like, well, I would say virtual reality, you know, rehab is completely virtual? ridiculous, and so there how you go. Does, how do, but you know what? There's a bunch of people out there going to go. Well, hey, Doctor Phil said this is a good idea. Maybe I should try this. But didn't talk about that didn't i talk about how i'd listened to those congressional hearings and they were they were there's some kind of computer based yes treatment we, and we, i uh, which i can't we talk, which was, we did talk about right, and i'm right. not sure i can i understand that and that's got to be a similar thing to virtual reality rehab you know, one of these things that rehab centers out there do is a neurofeedback and a biofeedback it's like reading your brain waves and like doing different things with it there's a thing called brainwave mirroring which was a thing that i got to witness out um, in Arizona, and it's this idea. It's like, okay, the idea is like, okay, so if you look in the mirror, you can like fix yourself up. You can see a mark on your face and fix that, or fix your hair, or whatever. And it says, well, your brain does the same thing. And so what this place did was they took um, recordings of your brain waves and then played them back to you in an audio file through your headset. So it'd be like your brain looking in a mirror, and it would fix anything that was out of place. Right, it's it hurts your brain okay. to even think about it. I, yeah, but people buy it. The thing is, is that people buy into this stuff, and people buy into the things that are marketed to them the most. Like everyone out there knows about Passages Malibu, right? Because there's tons of commercials and there's all this stuff. Because they're putting a fortune into marketing. Put a fortune into marketing. I always believe that your marketing should come from word of mouth of people that have actually taken your product. And were successful with it and told other people about it. Yep. That's the best form of marketing there is because it's not like you paid a bunch of money to be, you know, marketed everywhere and forced on the throats of all the public out there. But you actually, from empirical evidence and viewable data, you help somebody with whatever it is that you're offering and other people tell people about it. And that's what we do. That's why I like to interview the the graduates yeah. of the Narconon program because they tell the real story of what they experienced going through the program and... You know, you can't argue with it. You just you can't. can't. You can't. And, you know, right now... It's not one of those... I'm sorry. It's not one of those actors on TV. This is not a real addict. This is an actor portraying. No, no, no. no. The people that we interview on this podcast... Real addicts. 
and they're not paid Mm-mm. to come on the podcast. In fact, they paid to do the program, and now they're happy about having done it, and they come. They're true testimonials. Yeah. With the guys. It, yeah. It's a new day and age, and I'm yeah. not about to get Narcanon endorsed by Dr. Phil by paying them a bunch of money. Nah. Um, nah, especially <laughs> the virtual reality rehab. I couldn't believe that. That was insane. But, you know, now that the drug epidemic is actually worsening, people are going to come up with the next... Miracle cure, silver bullet. Because there's cure. money in it. There, there's money in it, and but everyone thinks the next they have the next bright idea. Yeah. Um, but and, even if they don't, it's to make money, Jason. I it know is. it's it's hard for someone like you who works the job you work, not from the viewpoint of how you're going to get rich off of it, but from right. the viewpoint of how many people can you help. Or me doing the podcast and I get paid nothing mm-hmm. and it's from the viewpoint of how many people can we get to listen to the right. podcast and how many people can we help? There are people who are money motivated and so they look at, ooh, um, opioid epidemic, there's got to be money made there, money right. made in rehab, like the sober houses and the referrals. Oh, in Southeast to the, Florida, it's yeah. ridiculous from like... West Palm Beach down in Miami, they call it the Mecca of recovery. There's yep. hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of rehabs, halfway houses, yep. IOP, intensive outpatient clinics. Um, and it's all a big money-making scheme. Yep. And the thing is, as someone that's in the field with the sole purpose of helping people, it's sickening to think that people are making money off the suffering of yep. addicts. Yep. But that's the thing. We talk a lot about the suffering of addicts. Right. But I want to bring up something before we okay. get into the main topic that oh, you wanted to no, talk about because I thought you would appreciate this. Yes, yes, yes. You go know ahead. how you said that sometimes when you post things, especially about marijuana, you get like bash and you get a lot of mail. negative feedback? Okay, so I got some hate mail. Oh, did you? Yeah, Steve <laughs> Steve was looking at some of the feedback on the right. podcast and somebody was bashing me. <laughs> and I just want to say that bash me all you want to. I'm not going to stop. You know, they said I was very opinionated. This is true. Sure. <laughs> I'm not going to say it's not true. You know what? The thing with a podcast is if you don't like it, don't listen. But I'm not going to stop saying what I think is the truth. And, and you know, that's just never going to happen. But I was like, cool, I got negative feedback. And Steve was like, oh, should I take it down? Should I address it? No. I said, I don't know. I said, so, you know, so it's kind of up to you. You know, so. if, we, if we cause a little bit of controversy, we're doing our job because yeah. we need to stir things up a little bit Absolutely. because if we don't do it, no one's going to do it. Absolutely. And right now we've got a whole society that is really into two drugs right now, pot and kratom. These are two things I can't talk about in a blog article without making somebody out there royally upset with me because I, and I, I don't really understand why we as a society have popularized two drugs. One of which with Kratom, people love this stuff is they're like, Oh, well it gets you off, you know, the government quote unquote, the government drugs. And it it helps with this and helps with that. But it's like, you're, you're still, you're still replacing one drug or one substance for another substance. So it's like, I always I, I've said this before, and I said this a long time ago. That there's this idea that if it's natural, it's good for you. That's not true. There's lots of natural things out there that are not good for you. Like opium is not good for you. Right. Right. Um, cocaine exists in a natural form as a plant first. Not good for heroin you. Heroin is natural. Her- heroin comes from and heroin comes from opium. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, there's lots of things out there that are natural. That doesn't mean it's good for you. I mean, you can go to a health food. So you can go to Whole Foods right now yep. and find tons of stuff that's absolutely not good for you. Yep. 
That's right. Just because it's a natural product doesn't mean it's good for you. I mean, and and that's the hang that and that's where I get hung up with everything because it's like, okay, so all these people out there love marijuana and love kratom. They really do. They think these are the next biggest mode they're gonna cure, you know, the world's problems and all our health issues through these two plants. And does marijuana have medicinal qualities? It might, but I think for the masses, people shouldn't be using drugs. You know, you're right. And I can almost guarantee you that in the next five or 10 years, I'm going to start seeing those commercials on TV saying, you know, if you have the abdominal mesh, right. you know, we've got a class action suit. Right. Or if you took this drug, now we have a class action suit. Or, or you know, the ones like if you were exposed yeah, to lead or whatever, yeah. there'll be ones. If you, ta- if you were prescribed Kratom or if you were prescribed medical marijuana <laughs> and you had this or that or the other thing, here's the class action suit. They, were you prescribed you know, the granddaddy Kush from such and such a strain yeah. of marijuana back in Cal- uh, Colorado? Call us today. We'd get your piece of the settlement. Ex- You're right. Exactly. I think that's going to happen. I, it, I do. You know, because we don't know the long-term effects of these things. And well, Kratom, we definitely don't. Yeah. All I know, what I know about Kratom... Well, but the new marijuana, we don't either. We don't know. And the thing is, we knew about marijuana and the marijuana that existed 20 years ago. It's not the marijuana of today. Exactly. We knew about that. We knew THC was in low concentrations. And in those concentrations, it didn't appear to be emotionally, mentally, or physically addictive. But now, I promise you, and I can't stress this enough, the amount of phone calls I get and people say... I said, what are you using? What is your drug of choice? And they say, weed. And then they pause. And then there's a huge like lag of communication where no one's talking. I'm like, oh, they're serious. Okay. But it's but it's a it's it's a real thing. People are calling rehabs because they're they they're smoking too much weed. And I will talk to these people. And these people will tell me that their lives are just as ruined off marijuana as as if they were on any other drug and it doesn't matter here's the thing it doesn't matter what the drug is if it gets you addicted to the point where your life um the quality of your life has decreased so badly and you're continuously using whatever substance it is despite all the adverse consequences you might be receiving from doing it it doesn't matter what the drug is i don't care if it's banging your head against the wall if it's destroying your life and it's taking all your money it's giving you tons of negative consequences and you're having really bad life experiences because of it it's a problem yep i don't care what the drug is and at the point that we're at now we can't just say it's just weed no and even prescribed painkillers i mean not not the guy who's going down and buying the xanax from somebody's medicine cabinet but i mean the prescribed painkillers you know you get addicted to those things you you do and people people out there talk about you know look at addicts like they're victims Right, a lot of people out there look at people walking through New York City and seeing the addict strung out, shivering on a street corner with a cardboard sign with and a dog. But that always makes me upset with homeless people. Feed me or feed my dog. I'd give them dog food before I gave them money. Um, and that's you know what? When I was an addict, no one ever gave me money, and I don't think. And if they had, I would have used it to get high. Right. Um, but everyone, a lot of people feel bad for addicts. They see them strung out. They see them in a bad life situation and they almost look like people, some people believe that addicts seem to be victimized by their circumstances. But what we really need to pay attention to are like the real victims of the drug epidemic because the real victims of the drug epidemic aren't the addicts. And I say that because addicts aren't victims. They might be victims of terrible things that happen to them 
at some point in their life, they might have been preyed upon. They may have been um, abused, abused or what have you. Or whatever. Yep. But the choice to use drugs, um, to think that drugs solve your problems and to continue that behavior, it starts off with a choice. Right. They didn't choose to be abused. They didn't choose to experience all the traumatic things they experienced, but they chose how to deal with it. Right. And the addicts aren't victims. And that's something that we strip away at Narconon every day is that you're not a victim. Right. And taking on a victim mentality doesn't let you be causative over your life or take any responsibility for what's happened. And so the re- there's there, the real the real victims here are all the people around the addict. Exactly. It's the kids that have it's like the nine-year-old that has to call 911 because their dad's unresponsive in the bathroom you know it's the it's the little girl on um on the public transit bus that's slapping her mom to wake her up and she went screaming mommy mommy she won't wake up it's um it's the parents that get a call at three in the morning that their their loved one's dead uh, from an overdose and was found in an abandoned house and someone called 911 and, and bailed those are the real, the, but those are the real victims here, and I don't think we're paying enough attention to that. Like the amount of uh, babies that are born addicted to opiates every day is going up. Yep, and it, it is. And those I mean, are victims because they didn't choose to take the opioid. It was the pregnant mom that did. Right, and you know you have a a, a child that's twenty four hours brought into the world, and they're already going through opiate withdrawal. Yep, that's yep. terrible. Yep. Uh, and the other thing is we, we think about, so most of the people that have overdosed on opiates in the, in the last couple of years have been between the ages of 25 and 44. That's the demographic. Mm -hmm. It's not off the wall or it's not, um, it's not improbable that a lot of them are parents. Right. Right. And it's not, uh, it's, and I don't think it's outrageous to think that. What happened when they couldn't take care of their kids anymore? Yeah, and we're talking about little children. They didn't yep. choose. They didn't choose this. You know, the little kids don't say, "Oh, you know, I think I'd like to go into the foster care system." But that's what happened. That should be fun. Kids end up in foster care. Exactly. Kids end up with their grandparents because they can't get taken care of, or the kids might have some siblings, and now they've taken on the role of a parent at eleven years old. You've got the eleven-year-old taking care of the 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 smaller children feeding yeah. them changing their diapers making sure they're okay and taken care of while mom and dad are strung out somewhere else and are totally absent we yep. don't think about that yep we're it's true too, we think too much about the addict that's overdosing i mean have you seen a, there's viral videos that go around on facebook and the fact that there's such an audience for this upsets me but there's videos of uh, there's one video that sticks out in my mind of a little girl Screaming at her mom to wake up and slapping her mother as hard as she can. I know about some moms appears to be completely unresponsive and over. Wow! But that's the reality. That's, and you also have to look at the rest of the the rest of the family members. I mean, no parent gets over the death of a child, and no one really thinks about what an addict leaves behind. Right. Once they're gone. Right. Because or even while they're still alive. I mean, the, alive. the the havoc that they cause. You know, I truthfully, I think that probably our audience is more the parents, you know, the friends and families sure. and loved ones of addicts. I can't, I, I hope addicts are listening and I hope mm-hmm. they get their act together and get into treatment. But I tend to think that, 
you know, we, I, I mean, you tell me when you were in the middle of addiction, were you looking for podcasts or support groups on what No, to do? I was too yeah. busy wondering why my dealer wasn't answering the phone. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I understand. So I think that the, but there are the loved ones of addicts are obviously looking for help and, you know, as we say, that's that's why we do this because we have to give them help and we have to give them hope. And you know, there there is help and hope out there. There you know? is help and hope out there. And you know, the fact that we know that um, it makes me want to like stand on the rooftops and scream at the people because so many people don't realize it's out there. And you know, when you're in the throes of addiction, when a family is in the throes of addiction. You're not some a lot. Some families do this, but a lot of families aren't really interested in just like really researching what they're going to do to help their loved ones. Usually, the first thing that pops up on Google, and they go to that, and hopefully, it works. And sometimes it doesn't. And the fact of the matter is, that I always tell people: do your research mm-hmm. when it comes to the drug epidemic and when it comes to drug treatment. There's a lot of information out there, and it's really easy to get lost in all of it. And um, and look. At the statistics, look at the metrics, Mm -hmm. don't buy the hype, okay? It's like, that's why, like I say, I like when we interview, you know, the students who have come through the program at Narconaut, okay? They've done it, okay? It's not me saying it's good, the Mm -mm. program's good. It's not even you saying the program's good. It's the guy who has just come through it and it's real stories. And that's that's why I like telling those stories because nobody says it better than the graduates that I've seen from the program. True. Nobody True. does, you know, and from all different walks of life and all different religions and all different viewpoints, you know, one for one, I remember, and I've mentioned this before, that um, the very first woman that I ever saw mm-hmm. at Narconon who had come through the program, and she said... I've been through several 12-step programs. The difference is the Hubbard technology use at Narconon. She said, that's the difference, hands Mm -hmm. down, you know? And why did I bring that up? Because if you're going to research, like you said, you you have to actually get information. You can't just buy the hype or just do the google search and what comes up at the top of the list true you know i'm it or who's buying the advertising or who dr phil is you know who's endorsing promoting yeah who's (laughs) you know is dr phil endorsing it i mean you really do have to do you know the research i want to back up a little bit because i just i I meant to bring this up when we're talking about kratom before and i totally forgot about it okay Okay. so do you remember a year ago when they tried to put the emergency scheduling on kratom and they pulled it off all the shelves no okay so a year ago okay a year ago, the state of Florida about lost its mind when so the DEA put or I think it was the DEA in the in the state attorney's office um, put to, put through an emergency scheduling for kratom because they were like we don't know what the stuff is really it it doesn't seem like it's going to be very good it could be problematic and addictive and so we're going to pull it from the shelves and we're going to put an emergency ban on it it went through and then the stuff got pulled off the shelves everywhere and. I'm telling you, people in this state went bananas. People started going through withdrawal. People couldn't handle life without this substance. And the backlash that it caused, caused the state to reverse it and put it back on the shelves. And everyone was really, really happy. Fast forward a year, they're actually, so I guess they had to do an eight, some sort of like, the DA had to do some like eight point study on the substance, like, 
how dangerous is it? Is it addictive? You know, what could be the long-term effects of it? Blah, 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 blah. That's gone through. And I heard, I heard this today that in the in not so distant future, we're actually going to be banning Kratom in Florida. And it's, that's actually going to happen. It's going to be, a, it's going to be listed as a controlled substance as it should. Right. Because we don't know enough about this. The little bit that I do know about Kratom is that it's banned in the country where it grows. And where's it grown? In Malaysia. Okay. It's banned there because of addiction and the problems it caused their society. And so... So let's bring it into the U.S. and take it here. Woohoo! We don't... It, you know what? It seems like we don't even care at this point what we allow to go into the hands of the public in this country because it's like, if it makes a dollar, who cares? Well, if it's going to make somebody rich... Who cares? And we've talked a lot about that. Well, today, the drug dealers definitely the fact don't that the care. People don't, I think people need to realize that this opiate epidemic is driven by greed. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It, re- it, it truly, truly is. You're always uh, fun. I, Follow the money. Yeah, it's, I don't like to, to do I, And I don't like to sit there and be like Mr. Conspiracy Theory, but it's like, okay, so there's a, we talked about this a few months ago, there's a DEA, a, a DEA agent that blew the top off all this. And it's like, yeah, this is a big money-making scam. All of this is ridiculous, and the whole thing's funded by greed. And there's a lot of people that every addict that buys these pills legally, not illegally, legally through prescription, through their pharmacy, and from their insurance companies, are lining the pockets of a lot of these big corporate bigwigs. And that's right. I want everyone to really think about that. Anyone out there that has a loved one that's addicted or has lost a loved one to opiate addiction? Yep how unnecessary it is and how there's some fat cat corporate whatever smoking cigars in some penthouse um, office overlooking a city yep. laughing and and you know not caring about all the people that have been harmed by the fact that they made a bunch of money yep but while that's like very cartoonish and like you know it sounds ridiculous it's pretty it's not- real it's pretty real and it's pretty based in reality the fact of the matter is we all need to consider what we put in our bodies. Mm-hmm. Just, just that alone could be life changing for people. We have to consider what we choose to put in our bodies. Yep. You know, a lot of people would never have gotten addicted had they not gotten prescribed. Had they not gotten prescribed a drug, prescribed, I can't even talk. <laughs> had, they, had they not been prescribed a drug, trusted the doctor, took it, not knowing that they'd become addicted. Not knowing that the doctor would then cut them off, not knowing that they would then go through withdrawal and then end up on heroin. Yep. There's tons of people that never, ever, ever would have been become opiate addicts. That's right. You know, a lot of people that are opiate addicts that I talk to, I'll ask them, I'll say, where did this come from? You know, how did this start? And they'll say, well, I, you know, I had an injury. I was uh, playing football, soccer, tennis, whatever. I was, I lifted something wrong. I, I hurt it at work. Or I had a slip and fall or whatever. And they got put on opiates. Right. And the doctor said, just take this, you'll be fine. And then that's just, a, that just that, that's, that's the start of the fall through the rabbit hole. Because no, one know, no one's the wiser. See, here's the thing. We trust our doctors mm-hmm. implicitly. You trust your family doctor. That's right. I mean, that, and that's the thing that goes back to like the like ultra, you know, portrait of americana in the 50s you trusted your family doctor mm-hmm. and so that's carried you know carried on through the years and you never think your doctor is going to give something that's going to hurt you because the hippocratic oath that every doctor takes is do no harm 
Exactly. And how many doctors out there are violating that right now? A few. How many do you think <laughs> violated it today? Yep. If yeah. you think about it, there's probably been thousands and thousands and thousands of opiates prescribed today. That's right. Not, not, not a week. Today. Yep. Is Kratom prescribed? No. No. If you want some, you can just go to a gas station down the street. Mm. Oh. There, <laughs> the, but the, that's, that's, that's literally where you buy it. You buy it at the gas station or the head shop or the smoke shop or whatever. It, it's, it, that's where you buy Kratom. Wow. And, and it causes a lot of problems in Malaysia. It's ba- it's illegal to own it. It's illegal well, to grow when it. You look you at can't the effect that happened when it was taken off the shelf. People withdrew. Exactly. And so it, if you took gum off the shelf, no one's going to freak out. Okay. Some people who really like Except, to chew gum, like me, might go, "Okay, I really miss my chewing gum," but uh, not everybody's going to freak out. So just the fact that people freaked out, right? When this when kratom was pulled off the shelves, what does that tell you? It's not a solution to whatever problem. It's addictive. Pro- it's addi- it's addi- yes, it's addictive. <laughs> but a lot of people go on to it as a solution to their addiction to prescription opiates. But right. how is that a solution? Is if you if you take that away, you're still suboxone, you're methadone. Still it's up. the same thing. You're still messed up. You've still yeah. traded one thing for another. That's right. And I hear so many people say, "Oh, it's a great alternative to." To opiates. You know, like, no, it's a great alternative to opiates. Not taking opiates. There you that's go. That's a wonderful. <laughs> that's a wonderful alternative. Abstinence. Treatment and abstinence. There's there's a guy. Um, actually, no, it was Christian. Remember Christian? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Christian. I was talking to him the other day, um, and we we're talking about his addiction. He, th- this guy, I don't even know if he talked about it on his podcast. He had a really, really, really bad car accident, and he had, he had, they actually broke his neck, broke part of his back snapped all sorts of different parts of his body and was in the hospital for two months. And they had him in all sorts of painkillers. I mean, like, an astronomical amount of painkillers. And after he went home, they sent him home with fentanyl patches and all sorts of stuff. And his pain was always completely unmanageable. Right. Because he was like, well, I obviously need these opiates to function because I was in a really bad wreck. He literally almost died. It was like a horrific wreck. And... um his pain was like through the roof. He said he lived at like seven out of 10 pain every day. I mean, that's where he was at, (sighs) but okay. But he's not in pain now. And his physical, his physical condition, as far as the busted up structural part of his body, isn't any better than it was. The only difference is that he's not on opiates. Right. So, so he was, well, isn't that, well, that's backwards, isn't it? Opiates are supposed to handle pain. Right. Well, but his pain's lessened now that he's off everything. But that's just like the lady that was the very first graduate I saw when I came who was prescribed painkillers because she had fibromyalgia. Right. She's not in pain now. No. Not not only is she drug free, she's pain free. But so opiates are actually increasing They contribute to the pain. pain. Exactly. So the very thing people are running from this drug is creating is kind of like Xanax. And I'll tell you why it's like Xanax. Xanax is a weird drug. It's an anti-anxiety medication, but a lot of people... Side effects anxiety, isn't it? Well, no, it's not the side effects anxiety, but if you take it for a long time, the drug has a paradoxical effect, meaning it has the opposite effect it's supposed to have. That's what I'm saying. It gives you anxiety. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, right. It's ridiculous because when I worked at uh, the program I I was working at in Arizona, there's tons of people that would come in needing to come off Xanax and not wanting to take their dose because they know they're going to get anxiety and panic attacks from it, but they can't not take it because they'll have a major seizure. Right. And I was like, wow. 
the very thing that people ran to the drug to get rid of, the drug's now causing it, and opiates aren't any different. Opiates actually That's lower your pain threshold. That's interesting because every so severely every antidepressant that is advertised on television, if you listen to the side effects, Depression. suicidal tendencies. Yeah. Okay, someone who is suicidal is extremely depressed. Yes, which means that the antidepressant causes the condition for which it is prescribed. Now, opiates, opiates, or opioids being prescribed for pain, exacerbating the pain. Right. There you go. So I and so you heard it here first, folks. So yeah, I mean, it's interesting. But see, cocaine did the same thing to me. Okay. See, like cocaine, I took for a while to get that euphoria, the energy, the want to be around people and be sociable and stuff like that. And eventually, it did the opposite. It made me really introverted. I didn't want to talk to anyone. I didn't want to leave the house. I didn't want to do anything. But those were the exact symptoms I was trying to medicate away with opiate with uh, cocaine to begin with and now it was causing that so if we think about it all these drugs will turn against us at some point and i think it's very interesting that they do it's because i almost poison. Like, i almost feel like they're formulated to do that and i don't know why or how but it, it's very weird that almost every drug will do that yeah i'm sure that it has something to do with the chemicals it's that they're to. dealing with or and the endorphins just, or what yeah. have you but it's um it just gets real it, but bad. it's a poison and a little bit of a poison can produce a high a little bit more of it can produce a low and too much of it can kill you right. so and i that's, mean that's basically that's what that's, that's basically what we're dealing with that, that that's exactly what we're dealing with and so i i guess the moral behind this is or what i'm really talking about is we all have to be cautious and cognizant of what we put in our bodies and education is the way to figure out what you should take and what you shouldn't take. Do your research. You know, we're at the point now where we're not the 1950s Americana anymore. We can't just trust our doctors implicitly. We can't just think that they have our best interests in mind because sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. And we ha- it's our decision at the end of the day. You know, people say, well, if it wasn't for my doctor and he didn't give me that drug, I would be fine. And it's like, well, 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 back the truck up. You chose to take it. Exactly. You took a risk. Exactly. A calculated, and it's a calculated risk. Maybe some people didn't realize that's what they were doing, but they did. And now we have to really, we have to look at what we decide to take and what we don't decide to take. The choice is ours. We're not powerless in all this. We're not victims of this. We're not, you know, being victimized by Big Pharma and the doctors. At the end of the day, we choose to take it. They're not jamming it down our throat like like when you give a dog a a pill and you have to shove it down their throat. They don't do that. That's right. And the unfortunate thing is the doctors don't know. A lot of times they're not fully educated. And they're not, they're knowledgeable. not knowledgeable. And they're not knowledgeable on addiction either. Exactly. They can't, they can't, sometimes they don't realize that there's a drug act sitting across the exam table or That's laying right. on the exam table, um, writhing in pain. Yep. That's probably fake. Yep. Um, they, they don't recognize symptoms of it, so they just keep giving this stuff and giving this stuff. But it's your job and my job to educate. That's right. We're going to keep And going. it's everybody who's listening job to take control of their own life, mm-hmm. their own body, and their own choices. And if you're listening and you have a loved one who's addicted, go to narcononsuncoast.org mm-hmm. and check it out. Yeah. You know, and call the number 877-339-3324. Just ask the questions. Ask the tough questions and get the answers before you make a decision. But do something. Don't wait. Right. You know, if you've got a loved one that's addicted, you need to get them help and you need to get them help now. 
That's right. And we'll keep talking. We're going to talk again, Jason. Next week. Talk again next week and maybe you'll bring somebody with you and that'll be fun. It's always fun. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, take care. You too. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcononsuncoast.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard. 